take your scriptures, open them, and turn back to Leviticus 19. Be holy, for I am holy. Author and journalist A.J. Jacobs, who describes himself as a nominal Jew, uh, devoted an entire year of his life to obeying all the 613 commandments in the Old Testament. He recorded his experience in a book entitled The Year of Living Biblically. He describes his quest in the following way, and I quote, I tried to follow the Bible as literally as possible without picking and choosing. In other words, he wasn't going to say, I'm going to try to do some of these things and not other things. He tried to follow all the 613 commandments. So every day, he writes in his book that he woke up and he decided if he was going to get them all done in a year, he'd have to do at least one, if not two, every day. And so he would obey them literally. And that included some of the hair standards and some of the dress standards. And uh, so you have a picture on the screen coming up here. This is what he looked like when he started on the right, on my right, your left. And this is what he looked like afterwards. Um, because he decided he wasn't going to cut his beard. He wasn't going to do all the things that Deuteronomy says and Le- Leviticus said. And he even went so far as to practice, now you may not know what this is, shetness. Shetna is a Hebrew word that means mixed fibers. And in Deuteronomy 22.11, it says that you couldn't wear clothes that mixed wool and linen together. You couldn't do that. So he even had a Shetna's uh, tester, um, a Hebrew Jewish person, come over and go through his wardrobe and make sure all of his clothes were holy. Now, that was one of the days that he did. So he, he, he did all the standards, the, the hair, the dress, and, and everything, and he practiced that, being holy for a year. Now, Leviticus 19 is full of a, a lot of standards, and some of them would make sense to us, uh, things about sexual purity and about being holy as far as your morality goes. But some of them, like the Jewish people when they were given to them, which was a challenge to them as it was to Mr. Jacobs, um, was difficult to understand. And in Jewish world, there's two words that describe the commandments of God. One is metzim, and metzim means that it's easy to understand why God commanded that. And so you, they would say, hey, you can't have multiple wives, and you can't do this. And, and there are a lot of commandments in this chapter. There are a lot of them, and they make sense. But there are some of them that they really don't ultimately know why. And they're called chukum. Chukum are commandments that they don't really have a full reasoning in their mind. And some of them are mentioned in Leviticus 19 too. You couldn't plow a field and plant more than two, one kind of seed. You couldn't do two seeds. If you had cattle, you had to breed only this kind of cattle. with this. You couldn't interbreed cattle. And, and, and they didn't understand that. And, and they had all kinds of them in there. You couldn't wear two types of material in your clothing, wool and linen together. They don't really know why God commanded them that. The only thing that they could understand was this, is that those are commands, whether we understand them or not, that we are to be a holy people. And here's what Jewish people came up with, and here's what I want to express to you this morning, is that God wants his people to be holy in a holistic way. Do you know what that means? Holistic means comprising every aspect. And so there were some tedious things in Leviticus, some things they didn't understand and why they had to be holy and not do. Or sh- there's a lot of shell knots and shells all throughout Leviticus. But here's what God says. I want you to get the big picture. Not just look at be holy for this little event or this little area. Here's what God says. 
I want holiness in your mind to be comprehensive. I want it to be all-encompassing. So let me say it today how we would say it. We would say there's no divide between what is sacred and what is secular in your life. Uh, Moses would tell us from God's lips that there is no spiritual categories and non-spiritual categories in your life. If you are part of God's people, all of life is sacred, all of life is spiritual. And so we could say this, everything is a holiness issue. There is no holy and non there are no holy and non-holy parts of your life. We would call that a false dichotomy. That a false dichotomy is something that should not be split into, but it, it, in other words, they're splitting it, but it's not really to be that way. Another word for it, a big word makes you sound smart, bifurcation means this. It's to cut something or divide something in half which shouldn't be. And that's what we do sometimes. We have this division in our life that these things are sacred, and we can list them, right? Now, when you come to church, being in church, in fact, we call this the sanctuary. Why do we call it the sanctuary? Sanctuary, because it's sanctified. This is where God's people meet with God. So we, we've, people call it that for many, many years. So when you come to church, right, this is sanctified. This is some sort of sacred ground, so to speak. This is the church. And you don't let your kids just run around in here, and you don't just come in here and, and, and eat stuff. It's different in here, right? Because it's sanctuary. See, but we go to work, it's a different story. You're at your house, it's a different story. But we think that when we come here, there's a certain disposition, there's a certain behavior, a certain decorum that you have to have. But at your home, you can just kind of scream and yell and throw things, whatever else you do, right? And we kind of have this division in our life. And, And so we have behavior that goes with it. So when you're at church... You have this kind of behavior, and you, 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 oh, you get embarrassed when your kids are doing stuff you don't think they should do here. Now, they can do it at home and throw all kinds of stuff around, right? But here, it's different. And so we have this divide about what we do, and, and it happens in all kinds of areas of our life. And, and I, some people, unfortunately, I've learned this about them the, over the years the hard way. Now, we know you don't come here and use foul language, and you would never say certain words, vulgar words, bad words, things that you wouldn't say. But you don't, when you're not here in front of God's people, or you, you don't think in front of God per se, it's amazing what people will say. I happen to have, when I was a youth pastor, um, one of the kids in my youth group injured himself. And so I went to see him. And I, and I walked up the driveway, and his dad was under one of those little board things under a car, and he was working on the car. And I walked up to him. And before I got there, he was saying a number of things that I was surprised that he would say those words. He was under there, he's using the hammer, and he's, oh, okay. and he said a few words. And then he, then he said some more, and, and then, then I, he must have not seen my feet, and he's standing there, and I say, hey, and I mentioned his name, how you doing? He goes, who's that? I go, it's Pastor Walker. He goes, oh, Pastor Walker, how you doing? God bless you. <laughs> and I, I thought, you know, he, there's the dichotomy, isn't it? It's, you know, if Pastor Walker's here. Oh, I don't do that. I've had people who, literally, I'm walking up to them, and they're smoking a cigarette on the street. And they're smoking it, and, and I see them smoking, and they see me coming. But when I get there, they put it away or put it behind their back. <laughs> I go, come on, you smoke cigarettes. I'm, yeah, yeah, I get it, right? But, you know, people have that. They have this secular and sacred in their speech and their music. They come to church and they love God's music and then, you know, I've 
people rocking out to all kinds of stuff with profanity and immorality in it. I don't, I don't get it, but it, it's there. Clothes. I, I, people dress when you come a certain way to church, and I suppose you want to look dignified and good. And, and I've seen, like I said, I, God must have picked out your outfit today because he didn't pick out the one I saw you on the other day you were wearing. I call, I call it Jekyll and Hyde holiness. You know, we're one thing in front of other people and another somewhere else. One thing in public and another in private. And when Leviticus 19.2 says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It's not talking about tacking on things. It's talking about comprehensive holiness. It's not partial holiness. It's not depending on your circumstances and situation and who you're around or where you are. No, it's comprehensive. It's integrated into every aspect of your life. So if you ask the question, what is holistic holiness? It's holiness that has invaded, permeated, and saturated, and influences every single area of your daily life. See, there's not a Sunday kind of holiness and a Monday kind of holiness. There isn't. Because what I want you to get before we delve into the particulars this morning, I want you to get this. When God says, be holy for I am holy, you know what he's mainly after? He is developing a certain kind of person. He wants you to be a certain kind of person where holiness affects everything. The last section that we're going to look at next Sunday, Lord willing, is the New Testament version of this command in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. And it says, As he who called you is holy, so be holy, listen to this, in all of your conduct. You see what Peter says? Let me tell you what God meant. In all of your conduct... All of it, your clothes, the way you wear your hair, the dress, the music, the, the language that you use, the movies you watch, all the things you do relationally, sexually, in every possible way, and all of your conduct, comprehensive, holistically. And he says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. But he doesn't want you just to paste on certain things. What he's telling you in Leviticus is I want you to become a certain kind of person. Now, if you go to the Barnes & Noble or somewhere where you could look at the books in person, and you'd see all the books for dummies, right? Dummies for this, dummies for that, simple, basic things. But there's 348 of them. So it can tell you how to fix your car, how to build this, how to fix this, maintain that, uh, have this, play this instrument, know this su subject in science, or whatever it is. And it tells you, and see, they are in the self-help section, if you go in the self-help section, it means that you can get this book and you're looking at it isolated. You're not thinking about your whole life when you say, how do you train a goat? You're not thinking about your whole life, right? You're looking at this as helping you get this one singular quality down or ability. See, that's what those books for dummies are. But when it comes to holiness for dummies, it's different. See, we don't go in the self-help section, section. We go in the God-help section. Because you can't just read a book and be holy. See, it's out of a relationship with God that you're holy. And see, in our chapter, Leviticus 19, you don't have time to read them, but I did this week. It talks about caring for people who have needs. Deaf people, blind people, poor people, lame people, elderly people. It carries all of them in there. It says something about your personal ethics. It says you can't cheat, you can't steal, you can't lie. It has stuff in there about loving your neighbors for dummies. How to forgive people that you can't hold grudges and you can't hate people. It has about sexuality and you can't be immoral and pure and who you can marry. It has all that stuff in there. It talks about the demonic world. 
demonic world for dummies, if you could put it in there. It would be about invisible things that you don't have any clue about. Justice and how to have justice in a society and how to worship God. See, it has all of it, but God doesn't want you to think, oh, see, I just need to tackle them one at a time. God, okay, I'm going to concentrate on being just this week, and I'm going to read the book, and I'm going to put that in my life. And then I say, I'm going to worship you in the right way, and I'm going to put that in my life. And God, I'm not really good about forgiving people. You know how angry I get. And so God, oh, i got to work on that one now. And so we come to church, and we have this idea. God, give me the how-to. One, two, three, because you know what? God, I've got these three books down for dummies, but the other eight, I don't have those down yet. So I'm going to build qualities. And see, it's not just individual topics or qualities that he's looking to put into your life. It is that, but it's more than that. He wants you to become a certain kind of person. He wants you to be a person where the holiness has everything to do with everything you do. See, that's what he wants from you because holiness is holistic. It's all-encompassing. It's the kind of person, if you know him, that he wants you to be. So let me tell you, and we're going to unpack briefly, three dangerous divisions, three bifurcations, three false dichotomies that can happen that are absolutely in conflict with God's holistic holiness. And this is where people make mistakes when it comes to holistic holiness. Let me give them to you one at a time. The first one is this. Holistic holiness is for everyone. If you'll notice in the first two verses, if you look in your scriptures in Leviticus 19, here's what God says. Speak, verse 1, to all the congregation. Circle that. All the congregation. And then in verse 3 he says, Every one of you shall. See that? Now all throughout Leviticus, a lot of Leviticus, not all of it, but a lot of it is about God's instructions about how the priests and how the Levites, who were their assistants, how they can come into the tabernacle, how they can come into God's presence, how they live before him, how they can be holy because of their jobs. Right? But he wants us to know in no uncertain terms that all those standards I have for the priests and Levites, they're not just for the priests and Levites. They're for all, everyone who claims to be part of my people. So we would say, fast forward 21st century, you got pastors and deacons, and people say, hey, we expect pastors to be, and deacons to be holy. We expect them to be separate and live godly lives, and rightfully so. Church leaders should have a holistic holiness. They should be holy, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy. They should be. That's the way they should be. But here's the problem, is that we don't think that we have to be that. See, Moses, God is talking to Moses, and he says, not just the leaders, by the way, but the people. See, not just the guy standing behind the pulpit, but the people sitting in the pew. Parents should be holy. Teenagers should be holy. Singles should be holy. They should be holy. And the standards don't change. And, and that's what the, God says in Hebrews 12, 14. He says, strive for holiness, for without which, listen to this, no one will see the Lord. Not just leaders won't see the Lord, no one. If you do not have as part of your life, every area, not perfectly of course, if it's not what marks you, God says you will not see the Lord. Why? Because his standard for being in his presence, not only here but for eternity, is holiness. And it's a common false dichotomy to think that church leaders have one standard and church members have another one. And truly, the Bible teaches that if you are a church leader, you have greater responsibility and therefore you have greater accountability. All of that is true. But the standard for all of us is the same, that we should be holy. And that's why in the verses 19, 1 and 2, 
I look for them. There are no exemptions from holiness because you're not a leader. I, I couldn't see it. There are no exception clauses. There's no fine print at the bottom of the holiness code. There's no loopholes for non-leaders. No, all of us, no matter who you are, no matter how hard your life is, no matter what your background is, no matter where you came from, no matter if you've been saved a little time or you've been saved a long time, God says, here's my standard. You be holy. Why? For I am holy. Now, why is that true? Why is the standard the same? You know why? Because God has the same rules because we all have the same relationship. And over and over again, as you scan and survey Leviticus 19, here's the repetitive phrases that get your attention. He says this, number one, about who he is. He says, I am the Lord your God. Sixteen times. Actually, four sections, four times each. I am the Lord or I am the Lord your God. Over and over and over again. And here's what he wants you to know. That the God of Pastor Walker and the God of the deacons is the same God of the people in the pew. He's holy. He's holy. And so you must be holy. Every single section in Leviticus, no matter what the topic, no matter what the subject is, no matter what he's talking about, here's what he says. You be holy. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. You have a relationship with me. I'm your God. I'm the God. And that's the motivation, no matter who you are, leader or not leader, to live a holy life. And then he says, let me add a little bit more if that's not enough. Not just who I am, but what I've done. And so how how does he end Leviticus? All the way through, he's been saying this, I'm the Lord your God. But at the end of it, he says this, same holy rules, same holy God, because of what he did for you. Look at verse 37 at the end of the chapter. He says, and you shall observe, now notice the comprehensive terms, all my statutes, all my rules, and do them. Let me say it again. I am the Lord. So you know how he starts? Encompassing. All my people, here's how he ends. All my statutes, all my rules. So here's what God says. Everybody must keep everything I've said. He couldn't say it much more clear than that. But what motivates you? The verse preceding says this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Not only am I your God, but I saved you. When you were a slave in Egypt, when you were under Pharaoh and his bondage, when you've been there for 400 years and you had no hope and no way out, I came into your situation. I came into your life. I came into your slavery and I brought you out. I gave miracle after miracle. I showed my mighty hand and I redeemed you out of the slavery and the bondage. God says, I'm your God and I love you. See, that's the motivation. So everyone should be holy. And the division is sometimes the dangerous division as we think. And I've heard this say, oh, pastor, I know you do that, but you're the pastor. Oh, I know that deacon so-and-so or the pastor or deacon's wife. Yeah, I know, but look at that. They're deacons or pastors. Oh, that's their wives. They're supposed to do that kind of stuff. No, it isn't like that. God says it's not about who they are. It's about who I am. See, that's the standard for holiness. Not anybody else who's looking around. Not anybody else who's around you. And it's a false dichotomy to think that there's another standard depending on who you are. So holiness, holistic holiness, is first marked off by this trait. It's for everyone. Holistic holiness is for everyone. There's no division between leadership and laity. But there's a second one that he mentions here. And that is number two. Holistic holiness is not only for everyone, it's for everything in your life. 
Just as there is no division between leaders and lady, there is no division between vertical and horizontal. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Let me unpack it a little bit. All the Ten Commandments are in chapter 19 of Leviticus. Now, they're not in the order like they are in Exodus 20. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Now, if you look at Exodus and read those, you'd find that the motivation when God gave him the law the first time, here's how Exodus 20 and verse 2 starts before the commandments start. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Do you think God has that down? He does. He keeps repeating it because he wants to tell you that these are rules, but they're not rules without a relationship. When God tells you everyone should be holy, he wants to say, because you have a relationship with me. God always starts that way. But in this text, in Leviticus 19, he intersperses and intertwines all of the Ten Commandments, not in order even. And sometimes, if you know the Decalogue very well, you'll know that the Ten Commandments are broken down into two sections. Number one through four commandments are about your vertical worship of God and your relationship with him. And verses number six through ten, four through ten, I should say, or five through ten, are all about your relationship with people. So he says you can't have idols, you can't worship, you can't take his name in vain. And the second half is you can't steal, you can't lie, you can't commit adultery, you can't murder. So God says, see, here's what the law is about. The law is about vertical and horizontal. Now look in our text in 19.3. In one instance he says in chapter 19, Leviticus verse 3, honor your father and mother. But in the same verse he says, keep my Sabbath and have no idols. Verse 11 and 12, he does the same thing. You shall not steal, verse 11. And in verse 12, you shall not swear by my name falsely. What is he doing? He's telling you this. Ready? That it is a false dichotomy to think that you can have all this love for God and not have love for people at the same time. That's why he puts them together. You can't have this awe of God and tell him how great he is and then go home and trash your wife. See what he says? They've got holistic holiness is both vertical and horizontal. It's not either or. It's both and. So we love God and we love others. See, we could have saved A.J. Jacobs a whole year of living biblically. Because we can, Jesus said when he was asked, what are the greatest commandments? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. See, we could boil down 613 commandments down to two and say, hey, A.J. Jacobs, here's what you got to do if you know God. Love God and love others. See? And actually, it's more than that. We don't just love God and love others. Hear me. We love God by loving others. So in our text, in the middle of the text, in between those two bookends of comprehensive holiness, here's what Leviticus says to us. Love your neighbor as yourself, verse 18. Verse 34, love the stranger. So love people in your own church, in your own family. Love Christians. And even love those people who are outside. They're foreigners. They're not really yours. But treat them as if they were native. Treat them as if they were people who were born and raised in Israel. Or, or treat them that way, see. Can I tell you this morning, if you've never figured this out already, your relationship with others is a reflection of your relationship with God. 
And you can have all the theology, you can have all the doctrine right down, and you can have all the vertical right, and if you are out to lunch horizontally, God says this, it's empty. I think the biggest or most obvious example of this is in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And Jesus is having one of his many arguments and dialogues with the Pharisees and scribes. And he tells them this, and if you can look there in Matthew 15 and verses 1 through 8, or I think it's going to be on the screen here, at least verse 4. Jesus said that there was a thing going on with the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says, but you honor your father and your mother. And they know that's the commandment in the Decalogue, the relational part. It says, but here's what they were doing. If they had money that was dedicated to God, they would put aside money and say, this is korban, this is dedicated to God. Therefore, if my parents have needs and they're really sick and struggling, see, I'd like to help you out, but I can't because I dedicated this to God. This was their way around getting around, not being able to love and honor their parents and help them out when they needed it the most. That's what was going on. And here's what Jesus says. Here's his indictment of that sort of living that sort of holiness. He quotes Isaiah, and he says to them in, in Isaiah, this people honors me with their lips. Now back in verse 4, he says, see, you say, honor your father and mother, and if you don't, you revile them, you will surely die. He says, but you don't do it. You dishonor. So look at the plan words. You say you're supposed to honor your, your parents. All the while, it says you honor God, but let me tell you about the honor you're giving me. God says, you honor me with your lips. In other words, you say, God, how great you are. You come to church on Sunday, and you sing the songs, and you lift your hand, and you tell God, God, you're the best, you're the most valuable. That's what honor means. I value you, God, you're worthy. He said, but this is how you treat your parents? He says, you know what it says? Your heart is far from me. See, your words indicate that you must be close, you must be spiritual, you must be really in tune with God. And he says, the further, that couldn't be further from the truth. See, you can't tell God, God, you're holy, and not live holy toward your parents or your wife or your children. See, you cannot be a teenager here and come to church and come to youth group and, and, and have this thing that you pretend to have this relationship with God and you are disobedient and rebellious to your parents' authority. See, it doesn't work that way. God says the vertical and the horizontal go together. He says you can't have lip honor vertically and not have life honor horizontally. You can't say one thing with your words and another thing with your walk. You can't tell God how great he is and tell your wife or your kids how awful they are or hold grudges and bitterness and unforgiveness to someone in our church family. You can't do that. God says the vertical and the horizontal have to go together. But it wasn't for them. And here's what Leviticus says. Loving God by loving your neighbors. That's holiness. And you cannot and you should not separate the two. But there's a third one. See, holistic holiness is for everyone. Holistic holiness is for everything. But holistic holiness is everywhere. And what do you mean by everywhere, Pastor Walker? Look at chapter 19 and verse 17. Not only are you not to steal from them, lie from your neighbor, treat them right, if, and do good things for them, See, it, it has to be even more than that. 
It's deeper than that. He says this in verse 17. You shall not hate your brother, underline it, in your heart. See that? In your heart. Lost people who don't know God can staple good traits onto their life on the outside. They can. See, they can do all the right things. They can go to church. They can say the catechism. They can help the proverbial elderly lady across the street. They can be nice and kind at times. They can do all those things and even hold up some semblance of morality. But it's different on the inside. And, and, and again, here's what God wants. He wants you to be a certain kind of person. See, he doesn't want you just to do things that are right. He wants you to be right. He wants you to have a heart of holiness. He wants you to want to do those things. He wants you to desire to do those things, to be that kind of person where you would never be unjust, you would never be unkind, you would never be selfish. That wouldn't be who you were. But he wants you to be a certain kind of person. So let me give you some ideas. Holistic holiness means this. You can't worship God with your lips and be a racist in your heart. You can't act selflessly to God and give him time and act selfishly to your family and give them nothing. See, you can't bless God on Sunday and curse your boss and co-worker behind them, their back on Monday. Holistic holiness means that you can't say that you have this love for God and live with your girlfriend at the same time. You can't give your money to God on Sunday and then not give proper wages to your employees on Monday. See, you can't say those types. You, you can't worship God on Sunday and live like the devil on Monday. Those are all topics in Leviticus 19. Money, ethics, morality, wages, taking care of people, being, all of those things. I, see, those are the things Leviticus says. That, that ought to describe people who are really holy as God is holy. And, and here's the thing. That it's going to be a trouble for all of us today if we don't know God. See, holistic holiness is not just something that you do on the outside. But first and foremost, it is something that you are on the inside. And that's the thing why you, holiness is never a self, self-help issue. You can't just read a book on it and work on it. You have to know God. You have to have a relationship with him. He has to be the one who led you out of Egypt. He has to be the one that redeemed you and turned your life around. You have to have a love relationship with him. Without the the relationship, the rules will never come and never be what they ought to be in your life. See, holistic holiness is not just saying to God, let me be your hands. It's first saying to God, let me have your heart. So you can come and do ministry and you can come and do the right things and you can say, hey, I serve so-and-so. But listen, if you're doing it out of duty, if you're doing it to get the applause of people and look good to them, see, it's not holy to God. He wants your heart. heart. He wants to have a heart, you to have a heart of a person who is being holy because God is holy. I read a commentator this week And he made this statement, and I want to read it to you. He said, there are textbooks, and there are text people. Do you know what he's saying? 
textbooks, meaning there are books, including the Bible, that have God's words in them, and you read them, and they are textbooks. He goes, but then there are text people. People who, it's not just they read the Bible, they live the Bible. It's not that they hear the command, be holy for I am holy. No, but it drives them to their knees and say, God, make me more holy. Help me to be holy. Help me to discipline myself. Help me to work in holy habits into my life. God, I want to be a kind of person. And then he went on to say this. You can keep all the food laws and still be a glutton. You can keep all the drink laws about alcohol and still be a drunkard. You can keep all the sex laws and still be a sensual person. You know what he's saying? Because if all it is is something you do outwardly without the inside, it doesn't change your life. And then he said this, there are rules for constructing a sonnet, but obeying them does not make you Shakespeare. You know what he's saying? You can follow all the rules and write beautiful sonnets, but it doesn't make you a person like Shakespeare. You know what God's looking for? It's not that you just read his word, and not that you just hear, be holy for I am holy. He wants you to be a certain kind, not just follow the rules, not just keep the commandments externally, but say, God, I want to have your heart. I want to be different. I want to be transformed. I want to be like you, and I know it starts on the inside. It's not self-help. It's not external behavioral reformation. It is a heart transplant. And that's only, only how holiness can be real in your life. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Walker, I could tell you the external things, there's problems there. And I don't do this well. And I, I, I think I love God, but you know, I look at how I say this and I treat people in the way. And I'm far off on that stuff. And let me tell you this. Put that aside for a minute. Look at this. Those external things are symptomatic of your biggest problem. You have a heart issue. And it's either this, that you don't know God or you're not obeying him out of love. And he brought you here this morning, perhaps, to get a hold of your heart, not just to change some bad habits in your life so that you can be a better person and make everybody else happier, not just to put your marriage back together, not just so your kids will turn out, you know when he came here this morning? He wants to say today, would you let me begin today to make you a certain kind of person? A person who is holy, holistically holy, as I am holy. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around this morning, perhaps the Holy Spirit of God is taking the word of God I'm going a little deeper this morning. Not just so that you can say, oh, you're right, Pastor Walker, I don't read my Bible enough. Or, that, I can't believe I said those words last week. Or, man, I lose my temper so quickly. Oh, you know, those are things, and, and certainly they're not right before God. They're not part of the holiness code. But could you go deeper this morning? As you see some of those things externally in your life, would you say this, I've got a heart problem. I do. Because if all you ever do is deal with the fruit without ever severing the root, there won't be lasting change. Maybe you're here this morning, no matter how long you've been here or short you've been here, 
You have to say, I have a heart problem. I really do. And maybe it's because you don't know the Lord. You've never had, by faith, a relationship with him. You've never said, God, I'm a sinner, and I need a savior. And Jesus' death and resurrection from the grave is my only hope of forgiveness and salvation. And I need to put my faith and trust in him alone. Not my good works, not my church, not my, not my whatever it is that you're doing, keeping the commandments. Maybe you say, I need to be holy. I need to be holiness from the heart. I don't have that. I invite you to come forward, stick around after the service. We're going to say goodbye from our hearts to Josie and Brian today who are leaving to move to Virginia. Stick around after that because it's worth waiting for you to know God. Maybe you're a Christian, you're a believer. You say, Pastor Walker, I get it now. I, I see. You know why there's tension in my marriage? You know why this is true in my life? You know why I can't break this habit? I keep being defeated by it over. I've got a heart issue. Heart issue. Would you deal with it this morning? Would you? Would you let the grace of God and the love of Christ and your relationship with him afresh and anew transform you from the inside out? Father, we know that you are here and we stand in awe and fear of your holiness. And we're so thankful that we tremble, not because we are awaiting severe judgment or wrath or condemnation, but in Christ Jesus, we have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb, without blemish, without spot. And we have a relationship with you, but may it get a hold of our hearts to say what Paul said, may his love compel us. God, I pray this morning for those who are not believers that your Holy Spirit would bring them to repentance, divine repentance, godly sorrow. They might turn from their sins to a Savior who waits with open arms to receive them and forgive them and to start their journey into holiness. And for those of us who are Christians, and Father, we have taken detours this morning. We have stopped along the road. Maybe we've taken the wrong exit and we've got off the holiness highway. I pray, God, that you'll help them to get back in their relationship with you so that they have a heart to obey your rules because of their relationship with you. And we'll thank you for what you're pleased to accomplish, accomplish this morning in our lives and in our hearts. And may it all be to the glory of your name, for Christ's sake. Amen.